A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Alali Picasso, freelance writer and researcher, joining me from Calgary. Hello. Hey, Jesse. Nice to have you on the show. We are going to talk today about how it is not a lone wolf. It is a pack. The press wakes up to white terrorism. Also on the show, breaking news, The Simpsons still exists <laughs> and has made fun of us. One of the best episodes in a long time. I actually haven't watched for years, but I will admit it was a perfectly fine episode of Simpsons and the entire country can fight us on that. <laughs> Glad to have you here. Ah, nice to be here. Thanks for the invite. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Katya Wolishin, Andrew Walker, Bill Kirkpatrick, Jennifer Jilks, Lindsay Cole, Theo Lloyd Coles, Chris DeCastro, and Matt Randall. My name is Matt. I live in Kitchener, Ontario, and I work in property management. I support Canada Land because of Oppo, and I like Oppo very much because who doesn't like to hear a Calgary Conservative give a downtown liberal a hard time? Also, Alali, this episode is brought to everybody, as I mentioned, by Endy. Endy makes mattresses. I sleep on one of them every night, and they have a 100-night trial with free returns, so you can test your mattress in the comfort of your home instead of some big, weird store with big, bright lights in a mall somewhere. Have you tried a mattress in a box? Has somebody ever shipped a mattress to your home? No, but I do have a friend that has done that, and uh, they highly recommend it because, you know, it's guaranteed. If you don't like it, you can send it back, and apparently they do, so they just did different mattresses. You can send it back, no questions asked, is what they want me to tell Right, them. so really, you're not going to ask any questions at all? Well, I might ask questions. 
What, you didn't like the mattress? <laughs> Is it a money thing? Do you need the money back? And now you're just going to sleep on the floor like an animal? I might ask questions if you return your Endy mattress, but Endy will not ask you one question if you don't like your mattress. I love my Endy mattress. They ship it for free to every Canadian province in a box about the size of a hockey bag. It is the best-selling mattress in this country, and you can touch and feel and try an Indy mattress in select showroom partner locations across the country if you happen to live there. You can just buy the damn thing. Send it back if you don't like it. Get 50 bucks off of any Indy mattress. Go to Indy.ca and use the promo code CanadaLand. Best sleep of my life with Indy. Indy.ca, promo code CanadaLand. The big story heading into last night's episode of The Simpsons was Canadian journalist Lucas Meyer providing the voice of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The PM was made fun of, and a lot of other Canadians as well. There's one scene in particular that has many feeling went too far, and it references those living in Newfoundland. Take a look. Okay, but I'm sure you treat all peoples equally. Except the Quebecois. And the Newfies. Stupid Newfies! After declaring he is a newfie, the Simpsons character goes on to club a stuffed baby seal, poking fun of the province's seal hunt. The character then uses the seal's head as a hat while singing a song about never leaving Newfoundland. I'll be an The Prime Minister was made fun of. Oh, dear. The seal was then... <laughs> that news report may have been funnier than the actual episode. Oh, my goodness. Taking it just a bit too seriously. I didn't see the full episode. I saw clips, but I thought it was well done because The Simpsons has been lacking in humor, I would say, in recent years. And this was one of the better episodes. I did watch the episode and I should disclose right off the bat that... There is a character in this episode. Lisa is in school in Canada and she has a classmate who's a chubby Jewish kid with curly hair who asks his English teacher if they could study the apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. So I felt seen and recognized <laughs> and they had me then. I'm not going to be so effective at critiquing this episode because uh, though the, the character pronounced it Mordecai Rickler. Listen, this was like a full news cycle. This was like Simpsons is coming to Canada in the news. Oh, here's the comedian who's doing Justin Trudeau's voice. Let's talk to him. Oh, uh, was the episode, did it go too far? Let's talk to some Newfoundlanders. What about the Ottawa senators? They get jabbed. There was a guy who wouldn't sell The Simpsons his song about Newfoundland licensing rights, and he got a story. Like, we dined out on this like it was the biggest thing to ever happen. Then there was a bunch of stories like where they asked alleged comedian Mark Critch, what did you think about the Newfie joke? And he's like, oh, that was not funny. That was a, not funny, which, you know, we'll leave that alone for a second. <laughs> no comment. What I noticed, though, is that nobody made any note in this Canada Simpsons coverage that in that same episode, Alili, if you watch that episode, before they get to Canada, they go through upstate New York, okay? And the take on upstate New York is excoriating. Like, their take on Canada is that we're wonderful, but we've got some quirks. Right. And we're not so nice to Newfoundlanders and Quebecois, and our prime minister has a scandal. Like, that's pretty much as nasty as it gets in terms of what they have to say negative about Canada. The New York, the upstate New York take on that episode, to the tune of New York, New York, Homer sings, start watching Fox News, stop watching your weight. Oh, my God. I want to clog my heart in it. And it goes on, and it names, like, city by city in upstate New York, 
opiate crisis, population decline, no jobs, most depressing place ever. It can't decline because it was never good to begin with. Like, there's nothing <laughs> nice. It's very funny, but there's nothing nice in this episode about upstate New York. And I was curious after watching the actual episode, like, wow, Canada, like, freaked out at the mild jabs that we received. How did upstate New York react? Did they take it all in good humor? And the answer is like, no, but sort of. Like, they absolutely did exactly what we did. There's tons of coverage in upstate New York and Albany and Buffalo. Every city that was identified has a story about this. But there is a difference. There is a difference. And uh, I think it's best expressed in like, you've got Mark Critch here saying, that's not funny. Unless a Newfoundlander is making that joke, it's not funny. In New York, where like, they have reason to be offended. Like, and in fact, it was factually wrong. Like the population in some of these cities is increasing. And the Simpsons joke was that it's decreasing. And this isn't a comedian. This is like from the office of the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> he writes, this guy, Rich as a party. It's clear that Pucci was an uncredited writer on that episode. Oh my God. Listen, Canada's just happy to be noticed. We were, we finally made it in the world. You know, we get noticed by the Simpsons and they're what, like 25th season, 50th season, how long have they been in, on the air now? We've had cameos. We've had cameos over the years. But yeah, like, and it's this dual Canadian thing of like, oh, they noticed us. Yay. Oh, but we don't like how you did it. You know, boo. Right. How dare you? <laughs> dare I engage with the question of the Newfie epithet? I think you should. I want to. See, I know that it's good for banter for me to say, oh, it's so offensive. But you know what? I didn't find it that offensive. Maybe because I'm not a Newfie or from Newfoundland and I don't quite read it the same. But I have to say that, you know, people that are super offended by it, calm down. It's a cartoon. Surely you mean you are not a Newfoundlander. Lest I correct you. on No, look. Oh, see, uh, I probably offended them. I'm going to be hounded off Twitter now. I better just delete my account. I want to talk about this. It's been a long time coming, and I've been told, oh, don't talk about it unless you've got a Newfoundlander on Shorts. No, I'm going to talk about it expressly without a Newfoundlander present. I'm sorry you don't get into the club of, like, super offensive epithets. Newfie does not have a place on that list. There's a lot of people who want it to be on that list with the other N-word, that it's just going to be, like, only people in the group can use the word. It is a regional identifier. I don't use it because if people tell me, like, hey, that offends me, just out of not being a jerk, I try not to, like, explicitly use the word that, like, you know, unless I intend to. Right. Like, you're not just out being a jerk, like, calling everybody the N-word, whichever one it is, but... But I don't accept that this word is some sacred word that should never be spoken. Like, it's like Yankee or something. Like, it's, it's right. a regional... Like, we had this discussion in the newsroom, and I'm like, look, it would be one thing if I could go to Newfoundland and call myself a Newfie after I've lived there for a year. But I never could, right? I would never be granted that privilege because it's actually not about being a Newfoundlander. Like, what is a Newfoundlander? We know what a Newfoundlander is to those, like, who has the right to call themselves a Newfie? Like, I kind of think you probably have to be white. You probably have to have some sort of, like, Celtic. Like, you have to be, like, a third or fourth generation. The sanctity of the term Newfie is propagated by people who want Newfoundland to be an ethnostate. <laughs> I said it. You said it. You definitely went there, Yep. I'm sorry, like any place where it's like acceptable to call people come from a ways. Like, I know that's a cute Broadway thing now, but that's like you're a come from a way. Are you fucking kidding me? No, you don't get on the list. Alali, I understand that you listen religiously to every episode of Canada Land Shortcuts or have listened to an episode at some point in the past. One of those two is true. And therefore, you know that we note duly things which uh, otherwise might escape people's attention. Do you have a duly noted for us today? Yes, I do. And it's a piece in the uh, UBC, uh, University 
uh, student paper, and it talks about the dueling free speech clubs on campus and the fight over, you know, free speech and how far to take that and how bad actors of the far right are using that to further their own ideologies and cause. And um, I guess the the conflict within in trying to police the outright, but not police, I guess, people's speech to too great of an extent. And people can read that in the UBC student newspaper from UBC, right? Right. And it's called The Splintered Movement, How the Far Right Found Foothold on Campus. Duly noted. I have something. I would like to duly note an editorial in the Southeast Texas Record, a editorial calling out the global problem of fake news and for some reason identifying Canada Land as the leading purveyor of Canadian fake news. Very, very interesting article to note in the Southeast Texas Record, a legal newspaper based in Beaumont, Texas. As random as that is, it's not the first time I saw something like that. The Washington Times, not to be confused with the Washington Post, the Washington Times, which is a uh, D.C. conservative broadsheet, they had an almost identical editorial by a different author called When Fake News Goes Global, also citing Canada Land and our reporter Jaron Kerr for his fake newsery and our fake news. No specifics given, and uh, neither of them called us for comment. The Observer, formerly the New York Observer, they published something like this. All this follows a piece people may remember from the Toronto Sun where this American wrote his first piece. All of these authors, it's the first time they've written for these publications, and they're writing a piece, and they're all Americans, and they're all Republican-connected. Republican strategists or Republican PACs, and they're writing these pieces about fake news, and they're citing Canada Land. And uh, Jaron Kerr has written this all up for us on our website. Uh, the headline is, Where Are These Weird Anti-Canada Land Stories Coming From? People can check it out to get the details on this strange, I don't think it's too much to call this a campaign. It does seem like very hard to believe that these are all happening independently. Surely these people uh, aren't, I don't know, brainwashed by a certain feel-good cult. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, could be could be coming from anyone. What I will note today is simply that uh, aside from just feeling, you know, defensive about being called out and who's doing this and why, I find this kind of stuff interesting, media campaigns interesting. Obviously, you're not going to like sway popular opinion against Canada Land by publishing in the Texas Beaumont newspaper to a bunch of people who never heard of us before. So what is the point if you're trying to discredit us of getting these editorials in all these random newspapers? And the best guess I have is that it's like a, a, somebody put it on Twitter they're laying down a base coat that in the future, it will be possible for somebody to say Canada land has been criticized for its fake newsery in publications across North America. Right. You know, call me paranoid, but uh, I think that might be the idea here. Well, talking about fake news, look at how, you know, anti-vax propaganda spreads. They just link back to one another. You know, this is true because look who reported it. And this is true because, and so you, yeah, that base coat, you have to start somewhere with this disinformation and then they just keep referencing each other to prove each other's uh, point. Duly noted. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does 
BetterHelp. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Alali, I know your work primarily through your kind of vigorous and early vetting of white nationalism, racists, your work on Faith Goldie. You've sort of made it your business ahead of the media, I would say, to concern yourself with this ugly side of of Canadian media. Yes. It was early in 2010, actually. I was watching what was happening with the mayoral election in Calgary and got into it that way. And so I've been following a lot of these people for much longer than anyone else has, so... You were first, I think, or, you know, certainly among the first in this current wave. I will give us credit for being early. Others like Mac Lamoureux at Vice. Then you've got Evan Balgor doing work for us and then with the Anti-Hate Network. I am usually very quick to take credit when a beat that we are early to gets picked up by the mainstream media. I take no credit for the fact, and I don't even know if you can take credit for the fact that the Globe and Mail is now investigating Nazis and pockets of hate on Discord, on the internet. Uh, The Toronto Star has a team that's been doing this. I think that this is happening because synagogues and mosques are getting shot up. I think that's what it took to get the mainstream press to actually give a damn about this stuff. I think so as well. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate that even after the election of Trump, when the alt-right was really rising and taking a foothold in the U.S. and Canada, um, you know, people weren't, I don't know if respect is the right word, but people weren't giving this beat or this issue the proper respect that it deserved. Even after Charlottesville, that was, I don't know, that rightly woke a lot of people up and was frightening and jarring. But after that kind of died down, everybody forgot about it until, you know, until the body started piling up. Yeah, I mean, I relate to the desire to ignore this stuff. I mean, prior to this current wave, I mean, even years ago, I remember when like you'd have like anti-racist skinheads in Toronto seeking out neo-Nazis to have fights with. And I thought like, yeah, you guys deserve each other. Like, you know, Nazis are fringe weirdos. Like who's a Nazi anymore? Like if you really need to work that hard to find somebody to hate who it's okay to hate, like it's got nothing to do with me. And I could see why from a mainstream perspective, there was a desire to view this as very marginal. And as I've said many times, the work that you do and the work that Jonathan Goldsby does here, like when we actually delve into these corners of the internet, it, like we don't find it very fun. It's gross. And the, the ideology is stupid and hateful. The reason why this stuff needs to be covered and the reason why I'm glad that the Globe had these freelancers doing this in-depth investigation of this Discord channel and the Star's work 
is because it's real. It's real. And this is happening. And anti-Semitism is back. And Islamophobia is violent. And it's really like we know it'll happen again. And, and it's preventable. It is. And I don't know if you noticed there was recently in the U.S., um, somebody, some army veteran or whatever, just got arrested, a recent Muslim convert for planning to shoot up like a neo-Nazi rally or something. And the guy didn't even know what he wanted to lash out against. He was, you know, planning to go after a whole bunch of targets. And what's interesting about that is, you know, it was just shortly after the latest synagogue shooting. And this new, I guess, uh, Muslim convert, they talked about how they noticed him, you know, chatter online. Well, all this alt-right chatter, all these violent white nationalists are openly chattering online and they, they didn't identify that. They weren't looking for that. So there's a lot of, a lot of questions to be asked about are people continuing to watch for the right things in domestic extremism? And the answer repeatedly is no. And that's uh, disturbing. So what are the right things? And, and I want to talk today about if we are of a consensus, and I really hope we are, that like white terrorism is a threat. It is my opinion, uh, and I think in the security communities, the intelligence community's opinion, a equivalent or larger threat than Islamic radical terrorism in Canada. Absolutely. So we fight it the same way. We find the corners where these idiots are talking and you you make lists and you figure out who they are and you keep an eye on them. But there is a struggle right now to define who are the anti-Semites that we need to be keeping an eye on. And I couldn't help myself after this last synagogue shooting in California this past weekend. I was curious and I went and I checked out Ezra Levant's Twitter feed and I was, I was curious to what the rebel was saying. I started this. I picked on Ezra. He didn't come after me. I, you I, picking a fight, Jesse? I can't imagine. <laughs> On Monday, after this all exploded online and, you know, my colleague Kevin was just like, so what happened here? What did he say to you? And I'm like, no, I started. I totally started it. And I'm okay with that because I, I saw what I expected to see, which was essentially that like Ezra Levant is deeply, deeply invested in separating anti-Semitism from the populist right. Right. The populist right is Trump. Trump loves Israel. He's a, he's a Zadie to Jewish grandkids. He loves Israel. And uh, uh, anti-Semites are on the left. Anti-Semites are Muslims. Anti-Semites are uh, Israel-hating leftists, right? That's a very important distinction for somebody like Ezra Levant in the face of all evidence to the contrary. And I won't get into whether or not there are anti-Semites in the uh, opposition to Israel. I just know who I have to fear coming into my synagogue with a gun. Right. It's not like it's it's not a left-leaning campus radical. And in Canada, it's not a Muslim. Like that hasn't happened. Right. And I will tell you, um, the chatter that I watch from Canadian neo-Nazis, well, the international white nationalists as well, but if you have, you know, the BDS supporters and, and boycott divestment from Israel supporters. Right. Yeah. That faction of the left, they're not the ones that are in chat room sharing. Um, I'll, well, I'll describe this meme and it's a young girl and, um, she's blonde hair, blue eyed, of course, and she has, her hands together and is blowing like you would blow a kiss, right? Or blow a handful of glitter, but she's blowing a handful of ashes and the caption is goodbye Jews. You don't see the left posting memes like that on a daily basis and celebrating it. And that's one of the mild ones. It is incredibly disturbing to see what they post and what they celebrate. And even, I hate to say that I've become, I guess, immune to a lot of it. Like it used to shock me more than it does now simply because I see so much of it. But I have to remind myself when I see that, you know, that's not normal. You know, this is not equivalent on the left. 
You can take issue with some some stances on the left, but these are not the same sort of anti-Semites. These are not the people that are actively saying, you know, excuse my language and you can bleep this in if you need to, but, you know, gas the kikes, race war now. This is literally what they're advocating. And this is who we're talking about. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's back, you know, the worst type of Nazi era, violent anti-Jewish pro-Nazi imagery. I'm getting sent and I'm getting called a kike. I'm getting sent gas chamber pictures. And so it's increasingly a matter of security and perhaps like survival to like know your enemy, get this straight. It's not simply a diversion to be trying to blame this on the left or on Muslims. I increasingly am of the opinion that like the people who want to kill me also want to kill Muslims, right? It's a consistent ideology. Absolutely. This is part of the same thing. It's it's the same wave of Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. And what's really key to understand from these, uh, you know, the manifestos that are being put out. Um, I know Breton Tarrant, the New Zealand uh, mosque massacre man behind that. A lot of people were saying, like, if you saw Faith Goldie, she was saying he's not clearly not one of them, you know. Our guys, and when I say our guys, you know, slash our guys, slash, it's the way that they talk, you know, when you write it. But our guys, they're the white nationalists and neo-Nazis, they were going through the manifesto and they were picking out all the parts where they know was coded talk about Jews. So they know what they're talking about. They know what their like-minded people carrying out these massacres are talking about. And so this is, they look at it as, as a near enemy versus a far enemy. So the near enemy is part of this, you know, massive Jewish conspiracy to replace the white people and whatever. And who's doing that? Well, they're bringing in the Muslims and it's the Muslims that they believe are, you know, are raping and pillaging and terrorizing and, and want to, you know, Islamicize the country. So we have to kill them first and then we can take care of the Jews. This is their ideology. This is their explicit reasoning for this stuff. And so if you're going after U.S. Congresswoman, you know, Ilhan Omar and saying that she's the reason for this, well, no, they want to kill her, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that with that in mind, I have to view an attack on her as an attack on me, as a prelude to violence against me. Absolutely. I have to look at an attack on a mosque as the exact same thing as an, as an attack on a synagogue. And so when I like what is my role as a media critic, as an analyst of this stuff who's trying to sh shed some light on this, when I see that Ezra Levant, as I expected, I went looking for it, he's attacking AOC, Alexandria Cortez. Why? Because she sent a message of condolences. Exactly. Heartbroken to hear of the San Diego synagogue shooting, particularly so on this final day of Passover. And Ezra Levant responds, like most Democrats these days, AOC's only use for Jews is for fundraising and using their dead bodies to score partisan points. Later, he would attack Sean Majumder, who was merely sharing the fact that he had been sent Nazi imagery. The rebel sent their correspondent, who has <laughs> himself, Kian Bexty, who yep. I think in your province has a history of all sorts of things, including working for some... How would you describe this web store that he worked for? Well, they, they build it as an army surplus store. But what, what the white nationalists and white supremacists, they idealize, you know, Rhodesia. And it's this, um, this, I guess, Rhodesian merch where they fantasize about, I guess, genocide and slaughter and whatever. And it's seeking out, you know, this, this white utopia. And it's, it's part of that. And so that's the type of stuff that they were selling. And they knew what they were doing and they know who they're connected to. And, I guess Adam Strachik and um, another guy that used to, they founded the University of Calgary Firearms Association. Um, there's a quite, quite a little group of them that were, you know, white nationalists and, and right leaning and, and Keen Bex was part of that. So, you know, Ezra has this persistent 
white nationalist and sometimes a Nazi problem amongst his staff. So as a Jew who is fiercely pro-Israel and pro-Trump, he, you know, is sort of taking this mainstream position of like, I get to determine who the anti-Semites are and the anti-Semites are Muslims and leftists. And the occasion of a synagogue shooting is an occasion for him to heap scorn upon brown people and Muslims which I see feeding into the exact same narrative that is leading to all these murders. I call him out for it. And I say, like, dude, you're no defender of the Jewish people. When Bissonnette shot up that mosque in Quebec City, you know, he was a Gavin McInnes fan. And yeah, Gavin was your star. Like, you know, you make videos for people who want to kill Jews. Let's call it what it is. I understand that he's deeply invested in having it not be so. Certainly, economically, he's invested that way. And, I, you know, perhaps personally, like, you know, he would have to wake up to the fact that he's He's on the wrong side of something big here. Predictably, he lashed out at me and I think showed himself as it doesn't take much for him to do. Absolutely. Writing to me, the only thing Jewish about you, you self-loathing, Israel-bashing, Islamist apologist, is that you use your vestigial Judaism as a fake race card to pretend that you're somehow different from every other privileged white male you bash. You're not a Jew. You're the son of one, maybe. Now, I got to tell you, I was unaware that excommunication was even a thing that we could do. Right. And he polices who's a Jew and who's not. Isn't that a little bit anti-Semitic? It's quite something. Now we've got excommunication and we put Ezra in charge? Right. That is really, I, I don't know if that was like from the rabbinical, you know, where was that decreed? I can't think of anything less Jewish than trying to kick somebody out of Judaism. I received supportive messages from people like, wow, that was really ugly. I'm so sorry you had to endure that. I was pleased to get that. And, you know, maybe that's a reflection of how I like an ugly fight. I don't know. I, like, I was pleased for him to reveal. Reveal himself, yeah. And yeah. and he has a history of doing that. Like, he goes after, um, when I posted on Twitter um, some old screenshots, when he goes after, you know, left-leaning Jewish writers in, in the States. And when they happen to post the really horrific, you know, uh, memes that are sent to them. And his response was, you know, you create more anti-Semitism than the KKK. And he blames Jews that he disagrees with politically as bringing it on themselves and, and them being part of the problem. So he is actively inciting hatred against Jews. You know, and he's the guy that had to apologize to George Soros for this horrible, defamatory, you know, column that he wrote. And he is on the record as saying, you know, he regrets issuing that apology. Oh, really, Ezra? Well, then reprint it in full on your site and see what happens. I feel like uh, an urgency about this stuff and, and defining terms. And I, and I do think that there's an influence that your work has had, and you can see it now in the Globe and the Star. As gross as this is, I think it, like we, we can't waste a crisis, you know? Right. I think it's really difficult for Jewish people of like my parents' generation to get their heads around Donald Trump and the populist movement that he represents being an anti-Semitic campaign because of his staunch support for Israel. I understand why it's weird, but it just happens to be a fact that the new Nazis, the white nationalists and the extreme right, if you read what they have to say, they're cool with Israel because they want Jews to go somewhere else. It's a tricky idea to know who your enemy is. But we know who our enemy is, and I think that those of us who are paying attention to the signals and looking at these these rooms, you know, Key and Bexty was himself on a Discord chat room. That's just where Nazis hang out. We know their ideology. We know what they're talking about. We could probably put together a list that contains the name of the next Canadian Jew killer. Right. And I'll tell you, you know, that some of the people that Key and Bexty hangs out with or 
certainly some of the questionable people, um, you know, that are in his circles and who they hang out with. You were just saying uh, Ezra's, I guess, response to you about, you know, you're a privileged white, you're not a Jew. And that just, you know, that that sat in my ear for a minute because I know exactly how they would listen to that. You're privileged white, you're not a Jew. See proof that Jews are not white. This is how they reason. Well, I am a white man who enjoys all the privileges of being a white man, but I am more aware than ever in my life that my whiteness is conditional. Oh my goodness, it is. It's it's insane. It's insane. And unless people really and the media really starts to, you know, better understand these people and politicians wake up to who they're courting, then it's, you know, threatens to get very ugly here too. Lily, that is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I want to thank you for joining me for it. Well, thank you so much for having me. People, you can email me. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Lily, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at A underscore P-I-C-A-Z-O and email AP at apicasa.com. I think your stuff is well worth a follow from anyone listening. Check it out. Our website is canadalandshow.com. There is a new episode of Common's Excellent Series on Crude. On this episode, I learned that Alberta once decided to nuke itself. That's not a joke. That was something they were going to do. You mean this last election? (laughs) This episode is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do, if you want to receive ad-free versions of all of the podcasts that we make, we will send them to you if you support us with $5 a month or more at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Please do. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.